What's up, everybody? You're listening to the 10 After 7 podcast with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. What's on tap today? Of course, we're going to talk about the NBA Finals. Game one last night between the Boston Celtics and Golden State Warriors. We're also going to talk about the Dodgers. I went to the game on Wednesday against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Brought my panic button with me. Didn't take it out to push it, but man, was I close. We're going to talk about Mookie Betts. How good has he been? The best player on planet Earth currently in baseball. Yes, Mookie Betts. And then at the end, we're going to go over the standings because it still looks pretty good for our Dodgers. But let's start with the NBA Finals. Boston Celtics, Golden State Warriors. The Boston Celtics have been knocking on the door the last couple of years. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. Brad Stevens was the head coach at that time. Before this year, he said, no more. I'm taking a front office role. I'm going to be the GM of this team. So the Boston Celtics hire M.A. Udoka, who didn't start off hot out the gates, but Boston turned it around, became a top seed in the Eastern Conference, brought them all the way to the NBA Finals. They survived two game sevens. They survived a Jimmy Butler front rim shot in game seven in Miami last week. While the Golden State Warriors returned to the NBA Finals six times in eight years. Call it a dynasty. And there's been a lot of legacy talk. Some people like it, some people don't. I don't mind it. Because in the NBA, legacies are always on the line. And you're telling me that we can't talk about if Steph Curry wins another NBA championship because he won one without Kevin Durant before he got there. Won one with. And if he wins another one without Kevin Durant, the greatest shooter in the history of basketball has to be mentioned among the all-time greats. Top 10. I said he's going to be on my top five when it's all said and done because it's not. There's not anything better than watching Steph Curry when he gets rolling. So I was on record on Twitter before the series started. I said, I'm taking Warriors in seven. I'm going with the experience. I actually want to see the Warriors get back on top after Kevin Durant left to go to Brooklyn. I'm rooting for Steph Curry. He's hard to root against. Klay Thompson, after the injuries he's been through, he's back in the NBA Finals. Last six seasons, that guy's played, went healthy. The Warriors have made it to the NBA Finals. And for all the Laker fans in LA, it's an easy choice. I know we hate the Bay Area. We don't like the Giants. We don't like anything about the Bay Area. But in this case, and if you listen to this podcast before, there ain't no way in hell that we could root for the Boston Celtics. Because the two most storied franchises in the NBA, the Boston Celtics and Los Angeles Lakers, as we speak, both have 17 NBA championships to their name. So we can't let Boston get a one title lead on us. No way. We hate everything Boston. Everybody hates Boston. Doesn't everybody hate Boston? I was so happy when Tom Brady left. They can no longer hang on to him. They got Mac Jones. They're trying to talk themselves into that one. We'll see how it plays out. But give credit to the Boston Celtics. They're back, but there ain't no way we're rooting for them. I'm even a Jason Tatum guy. We talked about the bet. If Jason Tatum could lead the Boston Celtics to an NBA championship, Devin Rawls got to go ginger which I'd like to see. It's kind of a win-win for me, but nope, we're going Warriors in seven. They've got 123 games worth of finals experience of the Boston Celtics zero. Does that matter? 
in some cases. They mentioned on the broadcast last night that the one time it didn't matter was in the 1991 NBA Finals when Magic Johnson's Lakers took on Michael Jordan's surging Chicago Bulls. And Michael Jordan, with no experience on that Finals team, said, hey, listen, y'all don't know yet, but I'm going to introduce you to Michael Jordan, the GOAT. And that was just one of six titles that Michael Jordan reeled off. Never lost. So we're going with the Warriors in seven. And game one was last night and it was awesome. And I have to say right now that I went old school with this one. In the year of 2022, it's tough to not know the outcome of a game if you're not watching it live. You're going to get notifications. You're going to see it on TV. Someone's going to bring it up to you at some point throughout your day. If they saw the game and you didn't, it's going to get spoiled. So I turned off every notification in my phone. Bleacher Report turned off. NBA turned off. ESPN turned off. I didn't want to see it. I had work. I wanted to watch this game like I was watching it live and didn't know the outcome. Right away when I got to work, someone at 6 o'clock came up and said, hey, can you turn the game to the NBA? The NBA Finals game? I said, yeah, sure. Why not? I didn't have my glasses, so I couldn't see shit. So that was all right with me. Looked up a few times, but I survived. I made it out of work not knowing the outcome of game one between the Boston Celtics and Golden State Warriors, and I'm glad I did. It was awesome. In that first quarter, Steph Curry got it going like he usually does. There's not a more enjoyable time to watch basketball than when Steph Curry gets it going. 21 points in the first quarter, six three-pointers. I think he made three or four in a row. That arena was going nuts. The Chase Center was going nuts. They were out of their minds, rightfully so, when Steph Curry gets going. But the one thing, watching sports over all these years, when one team's going off and you look up at the score and you're like, wait a minute, how are the Boston Celtics only down by four points? How are the Warriors not blowing them out when Steph Curry's playing this good? The Celtics had plenty of defensive breakdowns in that first quarter. We've heard all the talk about the Boston Celtics defense, and maybe that experience That inexperience showed up in that first quarter. They were lost. Steph Curry had all the room in the world on a couple of different shots. And that's the one dude that you can't give an inch. And they were giving him feet. And he was knocking them down. 21.6 three-pointers. Crazy. But the Boston Celtics somehow were sticking around. Jason Tatum not really playing aggressive basketball early on. He was looking for his teammates. Credit to him. When his shot wasn't falling, he was looking for other guys, and the Boston Celtics were knocking him down. Second quarter rolls around. Warriors put in a different rotation. Steph Curry's not there for the first half of it, and the Boston Celtics climb right back into it. Steph Curry checks back in, gets in some foul trouble late, three fouls, picks it up, and the Boston Celtics actually take a two-point lead going into halftime. And at that point, you're like, man, this is a great game. The shot making was incredible. It was back and forth. We hadn't seen that in any series leading up to the NBA Finals. So I was like, man, this is awesome. And I kind of, in my head, looking at the TV at work with my blind eyes, I maybe thought Boston pulled it out. I wasn't sure. But a two-point lead at halftime after that, Steph Curry surviving that 21-point first quarter. That's big time for Boston. But everybody knows, it's common knowledge around the sports world that the Golden State Warriors, when they get rolling, it's the third quarter when they separate themselves from any opponent they've ever played. And they went off. 38-point third quarter for the Golden State Warriors. 
They took a 15-point lead at one point, but the Boston Celtics still cut it to 12 at the end of the third quarter. They hung around. The Warriors just couldn't put them away. But with that stadium going ballistic at the end of the third quarter, you would have thought it was over. You said, all right, Golden State's got game one. That kind of makes sense. They're at home, three-and-a-half-point favorite. A lot of people were on Boston. But Golden State, those third quarters, when they go off, they rarely lose. And then Chris Haynes writes an article about the turnaround the Celtics had this morning. He asked M.A. Odoku, what'd you tell your team? He said, hey, I straight up told him, you guys want to get punked out here by the Golden State Warriors? You guys are getting punked. Is this how you guys want to go out in game one? And like I said, Jason Tatum was struggling. So it was Jalen Brown at the start of that fourth quarter for the Boston Celtics who started to play aggressive. Knocks down his first couple of buckets. They cut it to within single digits. Golden State takes a timeout. Steph Curry's not in the game at this point. Al Horford's starting to get involved. He's knocking down threes. Derek White, who the Boston Celtics traded for during this season, was playing out of his mind. And the crowd started to get tense. You could feel it watching this game. And this is why I wanted to watch it without knowing the outcome. Because those are the moments you miss. When the crowd is into it or they start to feel a little nervous. And Golden State fans were on their tippy toes in this one. Boston was making a run. And the Boston Celtics went on a 17-0 run for five minutes. They held Golden State scoreless. They scored 40 points, 40 points in that fourth quarter. And there was no coming back from it for Golden State. Golden State blew it. And the Boston Celtics were knocking down everything. It was probably the biggest turn of events I had seen in a game this postseason. It was insane what they were doing. Al Horford, how old is this guy? It was even his first finals game. And the vet that he is, he was knocking him down. He led the team. He led the entire team in scoring with 26 points. 9 of 12 from the field. 6 of 8 from 3. They were getting it from everyone. Marcus Smart, who wasn't even on the court to begin the fourth quarter, they didn't even put him back in until late. It was Peyton Pritchard who was in that rotation. And M.A. Odoku, I love when coaches do this. When a unit's playing well, keep them on the floor. Everything's going right. Boston held Steph Curry to just four points in the fourth quarter. And I think where it went wrong for Golden State, you could totally tell when Steph Curry's off that floor, they don't have any creators. No creators. And that's where it went wrong for Golden State. Because Boston, on the other hand, when Tatum's not getting things going, he turns into a facilitator. Jalen Brown could try to get it it done on his own. And that's exactly what Boston did. They exploited the Golden State Warriors in that fourth quarter, and it was fantastic. Jalen Brown pours in 24 points. Marcus Smart, 18, but Derek White's 21. It's always, I always say this when it comes to NBA games, it's always about the other guys. Steph Curry could have as big as game as possible, but who else was getting it done for Golden State? Andrew Wiggins had 20 points. Klay Thompson only 15 points, 6 of 14, 3 of 7 from 3. So Boston survives a Steph Curry performance. If I told you before that game, hey, Steph's going to go for 34, 12 of 25 from the field, 7 of 14, Jason Tatum's going to go 3 of 17 and 12 points, who do you think wins? You probably would have said Golden State, but no. 
The other guys for the Boston Celtics stepped up. 17-0 run for five minutes. Golden State couldn't get a bucket. And that game was all but over with five minutes left. So Boston takes a 1-0 series lead over the Golden State Warriors. I know we're not supposed to overreact to game ones, but that's pretty alarming that you could have a game where Steph goes for 34, Jason Tatum only goes for 12, and the Boston Celtics find a way to win. And it all happened in that fourth quarter. And Warriors fans, man, that's got to be devastating. Absolutely devastating. Where do we go now? Game two is on Sunday. Who's going to step up for Golden State? Clay Thompson, he had a couple of great games at the end of the Miami series. We know he's got the torn Achilles that he's coming off of, the torn ACL. He's been through it all. Draymond Green, he took a couple of shots. He probably, I don't know how, Draymond Green has turned into probably the worst offensive threat, offensive scoring threat that I've ever seen. It looks like he's chucking the ball at the basket when he either drives or takes a three. If Draymond Green even had just a tiny threat that he might make a shot, I think it would open up plenty of more options for Golden State. Because when Steph Curry comes out of that game, it's not great. They put in Jordan Poole. You got Kevon Looney. But these guys aren't going to put the ball in the basket. Andrew Wiggins, not really a creator of his own shot. Otto Porter made a couple of threes. But Jordan Poole, he's supposed to be the guy. Most improved player, only nine points, one of five from three, two of seven. You got to get help from the other guys. Credit to Boston. Coming out with a 120-108 to win. Game two is on Sunday. Let's see if Golden State could take back and even up this series. I'm moving on to my Dodgers. Of course, the Dodgers went on their East Coast road trip, took two of three from Philly. Should have swept them. Max Muncy made a costly error at the end of that last game in Philly. Then they go to Washington. Take the first two in Washington against the Nationals. Julio Urias pitches game three, pitches a fantastic game, and you get shut out one nothing. Those games suck. I mean, you love them as a baseball fan, competitive one nothing games, but when your team loses 1-0, it seemed with that offense, Trey Turner, Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, name them all. When you lose one nothing, it's a tough pill to swallow. Then they go to Arizona. God bless the Diamondbacks. Because when you need some wins, it's nice to have that team that comes into play. And the Dodgers swept four from the Diamondbacks. So they have a pretty damn good road trip. And then the Pittsburgh Pirates come to town. The lowly Pittsburgh Pirates come to town. The Dodgers dropped two of three from them earlier this season. But the Pirates come to town. They take the first two games against Walker Bueller and Julio Urias. Dodgers are just playing sloppy baseball. Kimbrell in game one of that series blew the save, first blown save, but he's always putting runners on base. It's not a good look if you're a closer. So they dropped out game one, dropped game two against Urias, a couple of home runs. Dodgers can't cash in late. So game three, Wednesday, 5 o'clock start, kind of a weird start. I end up buying tickets. Go with my buddy from work. I'm trying to convince anyone and everyone from Orange County, hey, Dodgers tradition, it's the best place to watch a baseball game. It goes through your blood. You grow up a Dodger fan. 
It's the best place. You got to be a Dodger fan, not an Angel fan. So game three against the Pittsburgh Pirates. We go to the game in Pittsburgh right off the bat. Mitch White's pitching. They score early run. Mitch White settles down. And then late, and I think in the fifth inning, walks a guy. The walks are the worst thing in baseball. I'll always stand by that. And then he gives up a bomb. So they fall behind. They're clawing for runs. They're getting thrown out on the bases. It's gross. I mean, they're that desperate to score runs when Chris Taylor's getting thrown out at third base going first to third on an infield hit. And then Gavin Lux tagging up bases loaded in the sixth inning of that game getting thrown out by a mile. They're trying to score any way they can. Viesa comes in late, gives up some runs, fall down 8-2. to two. Mookie Betts hits a two-run homer in the ninth inning. You maybe think there's some magic there, but no, the Dodgers get swept by the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's bad. They were swept by the Pirates for the first time at home since the year 2000. Insane. First time they were swept by the Pirates, period, since 2015. And that was their first time being swept at home since August of 2018 by the St. Louis Cardinals, which we all know that series, especially me. I got tossed from Dodger Stadium for the first time in my life. I was talking shit by the bullpen. Bud Norris didn't like it, said, hey, get this guy out of here. So I got tossed. So my panic button was out. I was like, how are we losing to the Pirates? We get on the Dodger Express on the way home. Pirates fans sitting there with his Clemente jersey. I love that the old school Clemente jerseys come out. There's some diehards. He said, man, I came to all three games. I was hoping to get one win. We got three. This is our World Series. I'm like, yeah, man. Credit to you. I mean, you have a shitty owner. Pirates are never that great. Uh, You guys had a run in the 70s. Had a run with McCutcheon there. It was fun. This is your World Series. He wasn't talking shit. I was actually like, hey, like that's cool that you went to all three games and you guys won all three. That's baseball. He said, yeah, we got our asses kicked in San Diego. I went up there this past weekend. So there it was. But here's the issue that I have. Not with the Dodgers being swept, but getting on the Dodger Express, there's only one, it only takes one asshole, idiot, buffoon to ruin the experience for everyone. We get on the bus and some guy's just yelling obscenities the entire time, cussing that the Dodgers lost. And then he starts talking about religion. He's talking about race. It got uncomfortable. Seriously. This guy was just screaming. Like, the bus got quiet. He was, like, calling people out for just looking at their feet. Like, we don't want to look at this guy. We're just trying to get home. We just got swept. We're not happy. And this guy's just yelling the entire time, talking shit to the bus driver. Even has a family of four. They get up right before the bus takes off and says, hey, can you get us off this bus? They let him off. Security looks on. They're like, should we kick this guy off? The bus driver's like, I don't give a fuck. I deal with this all the time. It doesn't bother me that this guy's yelling F-bombs. I thought about getting off the bus, but I'm like... I don't want to move. I just want to get home. But I guarantee you that guy ruined a great experience at Dodger Stadium for everyone. And I just can't stand assholes like that. I'm pissed off because it's great to go to Dodger Stadium. It's the best experience. I've never had really bad experiences on that bus. But this time, this asshole who had too much to drink probably and probably has honestly mental issues, what he was yelling out. And in this day and age, you kind of get freaked out when there's People like that on buses in public places, and he ruined it for everyone. Ruined the experience for literally everyone. 
And that was the only time I thought about pushing my panic button. Not, not for the Dodgers. The Padres were losing in their series, so the Dodgers didn't lose a game in the standings. And the Mets came to town last night, Thursday night. Dodgers won 2-0. Tony Gonzalez, can you believe it? He's the stopper. Tony Gonzalez is now the stopper for the Dodgers. Every team dating back decades, a century, when your team's on a losing streak, there's that one pitcher that you want to be on the mound to stop the bleeding, and Tony Gonsolin was that guy. He's now the NL leader in ERA. He's been incredible all season long with the injuries that the Dodgers have dealt with, the missed starts by Kershaw, Heaney, and then the bad starts by Bueller, who seems to give up the long ball, Julio Urias. When he's on, it's great, but when he's not... He's given up the long ball, and Tony Gonsolin has been that guy for the Dodgers. So the Dodgers still four games ahead of the Padres in the NL West. That's why we're not pushing any panic buttons. Credit to the Pirates for coming into Dodger Stadium. They don't have much to play for, so they're going to get up to play the Los Angeles Dodgers, and they did just that. And I'm excited that the Mets are in town because they're on a West Coast road trip. The East Coast media bias is through the roof. Lindor wins player of the month of May, which is horse shit because Mookie Betts is the best player on planet Earth. Mookie Betts in the month of May, 28 games, 342 batting average, 411 on base, 746 slugging, 27 ribeyes, 12 homers. 31 runs in those 28 games. And if you go by the stats, when Mookie Betts scores runs, the Dodgers end up winning. He now leads the league, the National League, with 16 home runs this year. This is the best I've seen Mookie Betts play since he became a Dodger. Despite that 2020 run during the postseason when he was also out of his mind. But last season, we know he dealt with injuries, missed 40 games, hit 264. But Mookie Betts is the man. And it's awesome watching that guy thrive. And we know how clutch he is. 2020, those 18 postseason games, 296 batting average. Last year, despite the injuries, 12 postseason games, 319 batting average. Mookie Betts, by all accounts, I mean, you can look up his best season when he won MVP. He was right neck and neck with Mike Trout. I don't know much about war wins above replacement, but he had a nine war that season. Only Barry Bonds and Mike Trout have ever had wars that high. So Mookie Betts is carrying the Dodgers right now. I'm hoping a four-game sweep of the Mets because I can't stand the East Coast bias. It's a real thing. How many times do you turn on the TV Sunday night baseball, any special that MLB has going on, and it's Yankees or it's Mets? They even pushed back next Sunday night's game to make it Mets versus the Angels. ESPN eats the New York teams up. But it's all right. It's fine. Because the Dodgers are rolling. And it's been good that the Dodgers were rolling and then they had their little skid against the Pirates because the Angels are down bad. They got swept in four by the Blue Jays last weekend. They just got swept going to New York to play the Yankees. It's bad over there. They're six and a half back in the AL West. And Angel fans were all high and mighty for a little bit there. But I think it's time to come back to earth because things ain't going so smoothly. Let's look at the MLB standings. Let's give a standings update. The Yankees, 36 and 15, best record of baseball, take a five and a half game lead over the Toronto Blue Jays in the American League East. 
The Minnesota Twins still at the top of the shitty AL Central, 30 and 23, four and a half games ahead of the Indians, who aren't over 500. Like I mentioned, the Houston Astros, six and a half ahead of the Angels in the AL West. The New York Mets in the National League East, National League Least, that's a terrible division. They're nine and a half games, nine and a half above the Atlanta Braves. The Phillies are in third place. They just fired their manager, Joe Girardi. It's not looking good in Philly. In the NL Central, the Milwaukee Brewers, 33-20, and 20, hold a three-game lead over the Cardinals. That's going to be a very competitive division till the end between those two teams specifically. And then the Dodgers, 34-17, four-game lead over the 30-21 and 21 San Diego Padres. Giants in third, 27-23. and 23. There's the standings update for you. But it's not time to push the panic button. Tony Gonsolin stopped the bleeding. Can he possibly start the All-Star game at Dodger Stadium? That'll be something. That will be something. But we got NBA, we got MLB, full steam ahead. The NHL right now is in their conference finals. You got the Avs versus the Edmonton Oilers. Colorado Avalanche take a 2-0 series lead there. On the east side, you got Tampa Bay Lightning versus the New York Rangers. New York Rangers won that game one, 6-2. I'm not going to fully jump into the NHL until the Stanley Cup final. I made that decision. I tried to turn off notifications there to try to watch those games because playoff hockey is awesome. I don't have a dog in the fight, which kind of sucks. But when the Stanley Cup final rolls around, that's when I'm going to deep dive. That's when notifications get turned off. I'm going to lock in. I'm going to probably pick a team. Probably beat Colorado because I don't want to root for Tampa Bay to win their third title or the New York Rangers who haven't won since 1993. It's like we just said, East Coast teams, they get the bias. I don't like it. Anyways, thanks for listening to the 10 After 7 podcast with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. You can follow me on Twitter at 10 After 7 or on the Instagram at 10 underscore after underscore 7. I'm out. Woo. Go Dodgers. Thank you.